All right. Thank you all. All right. Anybody uh, have some Advil for my daughter, AK, who's home from Georgia Tech? You may have some Advil in their purse so you can get for... Uh, she's a... She woke up this morning with a headache. Anybody have some Advil, anything? She just texted me, Dad, do you have Advil in your office? Okay, then why didn't you ask your mother? Oh, my gosh. Huh, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. All right. Uh, Randall, can I have my coffee, please? Thanks. All right. Well, hey, this morning I'm excited. I'm Steve Hambrick, lead pastor here at Vintage, and we are glad that each of you are here this morning. We love mornings like this. Thanks, babe. We love mornings like this just to get to celebrate uh, our, our kids. And again, as we talk all the time, whenever we do dedications, we are a church who is committed to, like we did dedications for some of these kids who came up, came up here today. We're getting their Bibles, and the commitment that we made as a church is to come alongside, to love on and disciple them. And I just encourage you as you're around these kids, if you see them today on your way out, just walk up, high five and say, hey, we are behind you, we love you, we're praying for you, and we're so excited that you have your first Bible today, and that'd be great. Uh, We want them to know that they are loved, not just by parents, not just by those who serve back there, but by every single person at Vintage, that their life is important. Uh, to us and to each of us individually. Uh, we are excited this morning because we're also we're diving into uh, the beginning of our fall study uh, on Paul's letter uh, to his spiritual son, Titus. And so we'll be looking uh, at Titus all the way up until basically Thanksgiving. If you have not yet signed up for a small group, we'd love for you to do that. There's still some openings, and then you can talk to April and to Mike Farley about that. But the idea is we're going to talk on Sunday morning about Titus, and then we're going to dive in deeper in our small groups during the week. Uh, and so we'd love for you to connect with a group so you can study here and then dive deeper into it throughout the week. It's going to be a lot of fun. With that in mind this morning, I want to kind of lay out this kind of foundational pieces. The idea is you can go read Titus, but it's important before you go read that you at least have a little bit of understanding of what's going on behind the scenes, what the culture is is, what the people are like, what's happening, what is going on with Paul, what's going on with Titus, who are they, those types of things. And the idea then is it'll empower you as you read because it'll get to recognize Paul was a real person writing to a real person, Titus, who had real people in the church that he was investing into. And so it's one thing to go read Titus for yourself, and that's good, but it's also important, really important to recognize it was actually written by a person to a person for a people, and it's important to know what was going on in that context to put it into context as you read it. Now, with that, a couple of this, uh, just a couple of things to know. Randall will not be here for the next two Sundays. We're actually getting, getting away for a couple of weeks, and I invite you to pray for us. We're going to take uh, some time. We feel like God's really leading us to take some time and pray. Pray specifically about what God has for us in this upcoming season, and honestly, we're praying into the next 10 years. God, what are you doing? What do you have for us? Where are you moving? What's happening at Vintage, and what's going on, and all of that? And so be in prayer for us. We'll be in prayer for you. Don't worry. We're leaving you in good hands. So next week, Mark Nicewander, who's right over here will be speaking uh, from first uh, from Titus chapter one next week he's much more gifted than I am in everything in ministry so he'll be blessed by that and then Mike Farley I think is right here uh, he's right there yes and so he'll be speaking the second week uh, again I'm probably still in Titus one I'm pretty sure and so he'll be diving into that and then I'll be here the rest all the way through the rest of the year after that and finishing up our Titus study together so it's gonna be a lot of fun I'm looking forward to it too this is gonna be a season 
season of more teach and less preach. That makes sense? So there's like teaching in churches and there's preaching in churches. And we try to mix those up here at Vintage. This may be a little bit, a season of a little bit more teach because you're literally going kind of section by section, verse by verse, looking at at Titus, uh, looking at scripture. And so what happens a lot of time in teach is it really appeals to the mind, right? That's what teaching does. It appeals to the mind. And so when teaching is happening, it requires then you saying, now, Holy Spirit, would you by grace take what I'm learning here and cause it to come alive here, right? The idea is we always want to have a healthy marriage between our head and our heart because that's the way that we were designed by God to take the truth of Scripture and not just have it for educational purposes so we can now know what it says. We can then apply it to our lives and allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction of that truth so that life change can happen, right? The idea of moving us in the process of sanctification. What is that? It's just the process of becoming more like Jesus every single day. How many of you, show of hands, be honest, still have room to grow spiritually, become more like Jesus? Thank you. And so that's what we're doing, right? We're diving into Titus and enlightening the mind and in them praying that God's spirit would take the words from scripture and cause them to come alive in our hearts so that we marry our head and our heart together and grow like we were designed to grow. Now, with that, I'm going to lay out some foundations this morning. And in our foundations, the goal is just to kind of give you context, to give you background. I find it so I was super excited to study. I find it super interesting. Interesting. I hope you do too. First foundation is Paul, the author of Titus. Now, some of you are like, well, of course, Paul is the author of Titus, but you have to recognize, and we'll be, we'll be talking as if Paul is the author of Titus, but it's important to recognize if you were to go do your own study to recognize in the last 30 or 40 years, there's actually been a lot of pushback in theological circles of, is Paul actually the author of Titus? And, and the reason is this really, really simple. When you have the undisputed letters of Paul, so I say undisputed, like people don't question if Paul wrote them. So Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, if, if Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. These are undisputed letters of Paul. Everybody and every historian says agrees. Yes, Paul wrote these letters. And so when Paul wrote these undisputed letters, they had very similar language, very similar sentence structure, and honestly, very similar um, ideologies and theologies, that, or a theology of God that it was, it was supporting and teaching and all those teachings. The the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, don't have the same sentence structure, don't have the same language, and don't really even have the same themes necessarily of theology. Some of the same things, right? But they're not exact like they were in the undisputed letters. And so people begin to question, did Paul really write it? Because the idea is if Paul didn't write it, then it was someone using the pseudonym of Paul, right? Basically writing in his name. And so some people began to question, but here's the point. If someone was writing under the pseudonym of Paul, more than likely it was probably someone who was actually a disciple or a very close follower of Paul who one may have written at Paul's request because he couldn't write, or maybe someone who just knew Paul so well looked at the church in Crete where Titus is 
with had tension around the lives they were living and the things that they were not doing and keeping true to the teachings of Paul. So as one who had authority because they had been a disciple of Paul, wrote under the pseudonym of Paul to Titus to remind them of everything that, Ty- that Paul had talked about, the lives they were called to live, and to in- encourage the theology of Paul in their lives. Why is this important? Because either way, this is the beauty of it, Titus has authority because it's scripture, right? The early church said, whatever's going on, we believe this has authority to whether it was Paul writing or someone writing for Paul. It's basically the words and the heartbeat and the soul of what Paul wanted to teach the church in Crete. So I look at it and go, I'm not real concerned about it. Either way, it's the ideas and the teachings and the thoughts of Paul. So as we share, we're going to say, hey, we believe it's Paul writing this. These are his thoughts. These are his desires for you. Uh, And so as we go through Paul as, again, the author of Titus. Second thing, Titus is the recipient of Paul's letter. That's why it's called Titus, right? Now, the epistles, these pastoral epistles, as in these letters written to the pastors, are unique because this is important. They're not written to the church as a whole or to a group of churches. These are the only letters really written by Paul to a specific person, right? Timothy and to Titus, who are both sons of his, spiritual sons of his, right? And so this, they're unique because, again, they're written specifically to an individual, not to be read out in public like the other letters were, right? But instead, we're told here in verse 4, this letter was written to Titus so that he could begin to then teach, right, some of these things. But it's to Titus, and it says, verse 4, to Titus, my true son, Now, Paul was not married, and Paul did not have actual biological, physical kids, but what he did have was spiritual children. Titus and Timothy are both deep and rich spiritual sons of Paul. We don't know fully their relationship origin, but we might venture a guess that Paul, who was a Jew, right, a Jewish Christian, led Titus, a Greek, According to Galatians chapter 2, verse 3, probably led him to Christ. And then Titus stayed with him and we're told became a great source of comfort and a great source of support for Paul. So here's just a couple of script, few scriptures you can go look at for yourself. It's chapter Second uh, Corinthians chapter two. You can put those on the screen for me. Thank you. Second Corinthians chapter two, chapter seven, chapter eight, and chapter twelve. All Paul kind of speaking about who in certain verses talking about Titus who Titus was, and specifically talking about how Titus being with him and giving him great support, great courage, and great encouragement. And so what I want you to see as you read through this is really important. Paul loves Titus. Paul honestly has a unique relationship, a powerful relationship with Titus, a high level of trust in him as a person, and a huge part of that is because of the relationship in the, that Titus has with Paul. Like, you have your, do you have someone in your life who maybe isn't biological and family, but they, they are behind you. They support you. They believe in you. They fight for you. They, they help you. They just love to be that person in your life who encourages you and, and helps you along your way. And that's what Titus is in a very real way. So recognizing it's a spiritual father 
writing with great trust to a spiritual son whom he believes in. You've got to recognize Paul. We don't know if Paul started the church in Crete or there was already an established church and he just encouraged it along the way. But we know when he left, Titus must have been with him because Titus stayed. And Titus became the leader of the church. And in kind of using the language we talked about several weeks ago, Titus became Paul's ambassador, speaking for him. That's why Paul's giving him language, carrying his authority and, and training the church. It's interesting to note that even as a, and in the call then that, that Paul has to, to Titus, that he's coming to Titus and say, hey, now teach the church. And next week Mark will talk about raising up leaders and recognize it's not just talking about like church elders who are like the pinnacle. He's really talking about all church people. Because every single person is a leader in some form or fashion in the church and the life in which they live. So it's not just talking about elders as we think of them of leading the church. He's saying the church was like 12, 15 people probably. It was super small, right? And so he's talking about everyone's call to the lifestyle and the things that I've called you to. So he's saying to you, listen, Titus, I want you to raise up these men, and I want you to raise up, honestly, these women to come and to, to be the church, because here's the point. This is the heartbeat of Paul. I want you to evangelize the entire island of Crete. I'm leaving this in your hands. If there's any piece that you begin to get when you're reading Titus, is that Paul has a heart for the lost in Crete. He wants the church to be leaders, you're going to see, who make a difference, who make a change, who in their life, that they, they literally, they literally have this place of being a light in darkness in Crete. And to be honest with you, it's an incredibly ambitious expectation that Paul has. Crete is 3,219 square miles in size. It's bigger than the state of Delaware. We're told from some people who have done studies that there is no Roman road system here in Crete. And it's very, very, very mountainous with villages all over the places, like 10 to 20 different cities all over, all over Crete. And there's no easy way to get from point A to point B to point C to point D. And he's saying, hey, with your group of like very small, I want you to evangelize the entire entire island of Crete, it's important because they need Jesus. They need Jesus. And so when we read this, right, when we read, you get to recognize the purpose ultimately is because Paul wants to see the gospel proclaimed. And it's very, very difficult. Paul here in Foundation 3, Paul is speaking to Titus again about believers, right? So the whole theme of the letter revolves around the works believers are now meant to do as Christ followers. I'm not going to dive into all of these things, but he's like, it's the works, the things that they're called to do, their life that they are called to live, right? But again, these are not works of salvation, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. They are not works that people that they're to do to earn God's favor. They are the works that Christians are to do in partnership with Jesus. It's why we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 for the last three weeks, trying to build a foundation. Just press pause. Thank you for I'll go ahead and read. I'll read it to you, and then we'll come back. So it says, it's by grace, through faith, you have been saved, not by works. For we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus, to do good works God prepared for us to do. 
So the idea is works don't save us. They don't cause God to love us or like us any more than he already does. But works are something God expects of us as we partner with him in making disciples of all nations. This is a really important caveat. See, I grew up in a theological setting in church where it was more about moral behavior than about obedience to Jesus. Do the right thing, right? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do was what I grew up with. That was the mentality. You don't do. So your, your Christian life was based off of what you didn't do or what you did do. So I prayed and I read my Bible, had my quiet time every day, and did all the checklist things in my list to make sure I was being a good Christian. And this is not what it's talking about. What he's saying is, let's celebrate the grace of God through the cross of Jesus and his resurrection and the empowerment of his spirit that you couldn't do anything to save yourself. You couldn't do anything to put yourself in right standing with God and to make him like you. You can't do anything and you'll never be able to do anything to save yourself every day. It's only by the grace of God. But in the grace, when he empowers you, he says, hey, do you want to come? This is important. Do you now want to come up here with me where I am and let's go work together and let's go save the world or save your neighbor or save your child? I want to do that with you. Let's go work together and make that happen. Do you see that? You're not works to please God. It's works to work and enjoy God. That's the idea. So there's works. Listen, it's, we're saved by grace, not by works. To go do in this work with Jesus, right? It's like you're doing hi ho, hi ho. It's off the work I go, right? And every day you're like, oh, we get together, do this together with Jesus. It's gonna be so fun. We get to do it together. This is so fun. We get to save the world. How many have ever seen massive spiritual breakthrough in someone's life because of Jesus working through you, a work that you were doing, and it all this brought unbelievable life and joy to every part of your being, right? I have. Let me say that was a beautiful one working alongside of Jesus. It's the idea like, I get, I get to do this with you? Yeah. Let's go. Right? All right. So Paul is speaking to Titus about believers and the works that God's called them to do. Foundation four. That's important. We're talking about works. So as you get through, you're going to see lots of works that are happening. Okay? Number four. Crete is a hard place to be a Christian. Or Crete was a hard place to be a Christian. Right? In the time of Titus, in the time of Paul, in the time of the people, it goes hard to be a Christian in, in Crete. Hard to be a Christian. We can say that at most places, but specifically here it was very hard. So I'm just going to read a couple different verses. Uh, Paul says in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, verses 10 and 11, that in Crete there were many rebellious people and deceivers who must be silenced as they were teaching falsehood, for financial gain. Now, as you read through, he's going to name this group specifically that was doing this, who were Judaizers. I'm not going to spend a long time breaking them down today, but Judaizers were Jews who heard the gospel, responded to Jesus, and quote-unquote gave their life to Jesus, and then married with that free gospel the need to still get circumcised. I would never be part of that church, right? 
Who wants that to happen? And so the idea, he marries these two things, and he says, this is a false gospel. It's not the real gospel. I came preaching a gospel of salvation by grace through faith, not by any physical act a human being can do. This group comes and adds to it, right? This, But you also, in good Jewish tradition, must be circumcised, and that's the culmination of salvation. And Paul says, hey, that's not helpful. It's the false gospel. It's not real. It's not true. You have to push, push against that. What, why is this important for the moment? Because there's tension in the church. Right? There's tension in the church. Shocking, right? Tension in the church. Two, two groups who are opposed to one of them. Paul is saying, this is super dangerous, Titus. You're going to have to make a stand against this and continue to proclaim the true gospel of grace, being saved by grace through faith, not by any type of work, specifically circumcision. Because we have to all of a sudden fall back into all of this from the law that we were saved from. And so he comes and just says, it's super important in this tension. It's hard to be a Christian because in Crete right now because there's tension happening. But in verse 12, we can get this then expression of the culture, the culture of Christianity and the culture of Crete. Paul quotes a famous Cretan who wrote this, and he's just quoting him in verse 12. He says this, Cretans are always liars. Evil brutes and lazy gluttons in verse 12. Paul's not being mean. He's just stating what everybody all knew around them, right? He literally is quoting a Cretan, a Cretan writer named Epimenides. He was a 7th century BC poet, prophet, and native Cretan, Cretan, who characterized his own people as liars. It's interesting, Epimenides wasn't the only one to describe Cretans in this way. Other ancient writers and philosophers agreed, and Paul's assessment serves to confirm the Cretans' character to be generally opposed to the ways of Jesus. The Roman poet Ovid referred to Crete as Mindax Creta, which means lying Crete. Right? Ovid says, yep, all the Cretans, they're just lying Cretes. The Greeks used the word Cretize as a synonym, excuse me, for lying. Oh my gosh, stop cretining. Stop whatever. Stop doing. Stop lying, Crete. Stop this idea of cretizing me, right? Stop lying to me. Is this understanding of all these cultures that, that, that Crete was a place of lying, a place of, a place of, of backstabbing, a place where you could not trust anyone that you're around, right? The idea that all people are guilty of lying at one time or another in life, but not all are habitual liars, as it seems was a cultural way in Crete. Lying seems to be a governing vice among them. Why is this important for Paul and Titus? Because every believer is also a Cretan. I don't know about you, but when I had to give my life to Jesus, there were lots of things from my culture I had to die to. There were things that I probably, honestly, I still wrestle with today that are more cultural than biblical. I'm not going to name those this morning because it's a very, very long list of things that I think all of us wrestle with. Sometimes people, they can be more nationalistic than kingdom by the way that they live their lives, right? 
And so the idea is we have to then begin to struggle and highlight those things and fight for those things. Every believer was a Cretan. The culture that every Cretan who had come to Christ had grown up in embraced something in a lifestyle that was opposed to the gospel. Right? The work of they had to, in this moment, then responsibly choose to repent to it, to die to their flesh, and to be Christ-like rather than remain Cretan in culture. As we read through this, it's hard for us and as Americans to fully grab hold of this. Because we grew up, we grew up in a culture that has been defined by Christian values. Right? Christian values ultimately were, were the foundation for our law in America. They were the foundation of our, our cultural understanding in a, in a social way. Right? This idea of the Ten Commandments, but when something that has been grafted into our culture, so whether people are Christians or not today, they don't lie and steal and cheat by nature because they just have this reason not to because culture has taught them in America not to do that because we've been based off of Christian values. And so for people to do that, like, that's wrong. But it wasn't considered wrong in Crete. It was considered virtuous. It was considered virtuous. And this is not unknown. This is not unknown or unheard of in culture. How many of you ever heard of a guy named Don Richardson? Wrote a book called Peace Child or Eternity in Their Hearts. Okay, you should go read both of those. It will wreck you. The one of the most important books on mission ever written. Eternity in Their Hearts. And Peace Child, okay? Peace Child, one of the greatest, you've ever, actually most of you have probably heard the story, I've told it three times here at Vintage over the years. It's the most powerful story of just like the idea of the, of God putting the cross and putting Jesus in culture thousands of years ago and people didn't know it to ultimately lead them to him today called Provenient Grace. Anyway, so in Peace Child, the Don Richardson tells a story of going down to, to work with the Sowie people, uh, where was it again? Sorry, I just lost my thoughts. Uh, Cretan, da 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 da, where am I? Uh, New Guinea, thank you. So, Sawi people in western part of New Guinea. So he moves down there with his family to come preach the gospel, and he gets there, starts building relationships. These are a people by nature who, who were murderous as the people, right? They killed people all the time. This is kind of the Sawi way, right? They were headhunters. Uh, they would, that's just who they were, the cannibalistic in nature. And so their, their primary virtuous and value of lifestyle here in New Guinea was to, to be, uh, underhandedly befriend someone and get them on their side and in time then turn on them and betray them and kill them. And when you did that in your tribe, you were celebrated as being virtuous. And so he tells, he comes there, tells the gospel story of Jesus with all the characters and their favorite person in the story, the weren't the one they celebrated and saw as the hero was Judas Iscariot. And they went around with a great desire to be like Judas. He was the victorious and virtuous one. We think that's silly. That's just their natural culture. They didn't know anything different. They couldn't understand how it could be life-giving not to lie and to cheat and to steal. That was nowhere on their radar screen. Seems so foreign, right? Could you imagine starting a church in Crete and having to handle that? Because people didn't, they literally lived opposed even to your own cultural values of honesty and truthfulness and fighting for other people and fighting for those who were marginalized, whatever it may be. It's hard to be a Christian there. 
That should impact how you read things. Because when Paul comes and talks about living differently, that's what he's talking about. Foundation 5, which leads to, all this leads to 1 Timothy 3.15. This verse provides a kind of underlying theme for all, of, uh, for all three of Paul's letters. Each of these letters, including Titus, is concerned without laying this. You can put it on the screen, how people ought to. It's because all so Titus and all these are laid out in 1 Timothy 3.15 as a theme, concerned about laying out how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So Paul's coming saying to Titus, he's saying to Timothy as a theme, right? It's important how people conduct themselves in God's household Because it is the church of the living God. It's to be a pillar for everyone, a foundation for truth to be expressed, to be seen, and to be spoken. Simply ask, why is Paul ultimately writing this letter? Because Paul wants the church, the people in it, to live lives that help the cause of Christ among those who don't know Jesus. That's it. Not just to be better Christians, but to live like Jesus so people who don't know Jesus would be then drawn to him by the actions and the words of what people are saying and doing and be in Crete would be one for Christ. That's the heartbeat of everything of Paul's message to Titus. He wants then Titus to proclaim to the people who are Cretans and who are living by nature a culture that's completely opposed and different to the lifestyle of Jesus. He wants to raise up leaders specifically who live lives worth following, whose actions speak as loud as their words. What you could say, just very simply stated, and hear this, everyone, character for leaders is more important to God than anything else. Inside the church and outside the church, character is is the most important trait of a leader to Jesus because everywhere a believer goes, a claimed believer goes, in every sphere of influence they're in, whether it's in education, whether it's in politics, whether it's in the church, whether it's in education, it doesn't really matter. Character trumps everything for you and for me. And for everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus. Why? Because everyone is watching us to see how do we express and model Jesus every moment of every day. First Timothy 4.12 and second and Titus 2, 7 and 8 begin to paint this picture. You can put this book both on the screen. Thank you. First Timothy 4.12 speaks of setting an example in speech, excuse me, in conduct, in love. In faith and in purity. So you say, hey, set an example in your speech and in your conduct, in love and in faith and how you believe Jesus at all times and all things, and live in purity. An expectation of every believer who is a leader is they live with a conduct and love and in faith and in purity in both their speech and their conduct. Coming back to what we'll be studying in a few weeks, Titus chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. In everything... Everybody say everything. In the Greek, everything means everything. Right? It's as simple as that. 
in everything. Think about everything that you've done for the past year. Everything. Set at them an example by doing what is good so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Again, Paul makes it clear character for leaders, Christian leaders specifically, it matters. Anybody who claims to be a Christian and is leading character matters more than anything else. For Paul, the credibility of the Christian movement, hear that phrase, it's important, I wrote it down for a purpose. For Paul, the credibility of our Christian movement, their Christian movement in Crete, and the effectiveness of sharing the gospel means that actions, lifestyle, etc. of Christians is paramount in everything that they do at home and in business and in politics. It's why I don't believe, I think it's a cultural phrase, hear this, I've said it 10 times, 30 times over the years, it's a cultural phrase to say, it's just business. That's not a biblical phrase, that's a cultural phrase. There is no such thing, well, it's just business and how you treat people, respond to people, and the things that you do. That's a cult, that's an American cultural piece versus a biblical Christian culture, okay? If you don't believe that, chew on it, study the scripture, study scripture, and see if you would disagree with me. All right. If you are a believer in everything, we are to set an example of Jesus. So as we end here this morning in our foundation, the heart of Paul and everything he's writing, Titus, as the author, as the recipient, who's then speaking of the works he's called to for the evangelization, right? For the heart of Paul is evangelization. It's sharing the good news of Jesus with the whole island of Crete. And the church Titus is responsible for leading is tasked with the work. Let's just say for argument's sake, let's say at least there are 50 people. They were entrusted with an island that was 32, larger than 3,200 square miles. We're just entrusted as a church of a couple of hundred people, let's just say three counties. Paulding, Cobb, and Bartow, somebody else will add yours in there because it's smaller than the state of Delaware. And that's what we're redoing. We're looking at Titus because there's a call Upon us for the evangelization of everywhere that we live. The sharing of the gospel, expressing in life and actions and the character that we live, Jesus, to people everywhere that we go. And we've already got raised our hands says we all have incredible room for growth. We all have incredible room for growth into the character of Jesus, into the process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus every single day. And the question we get in as we begin to study is, are we going to defend ourselves and get caught in our heads? Or are we going to, just in the teaching aspect, are we going to allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to challenge us, to change us, to awaken us, to say, God, it's about you, not about me? 
me. It's about those who don't know Christ and who are far away and hurting more than it is about my own personal pleasure and my individual comfort. Jesus, would you let me work with you, God? And work is work. You've got to beat your body into submission, Paul says other places, right? I've got to run that race with endurance and perseverance set before me, God, because I want to see people one for Christ and those who are hurting to be healed and those who don't know him to know him. God, would you let me be a part of the work that you're doing? Titus. Paul, Titus, would you teach Cretans? Their actions speak louder than their words. And may God awaken that in us. Going to the time of ministry this morning, a couple of thoughts and questions. Just as you're beginning to even ask yourself, and you can write some of these things down, do you think the church has credibility in the world in which we live? Or would you say the church has an image problem? Here's a question for you. When's the last time you asked an unbeliever what they think about Christians and church? It's one thing to ask yourself because you will let your own personal defendant come out and say, well, you're not that bad. But ask an unbeliever, someone who's far away from Jesus, hey, give me your thoughts on what the church is. Maybe ask 15 people this week who don't know Jesus. I'm not, not other Christians, people who don't know Jesus. Hey, what do you think about the church? And just begin to see if the church has an image problem. Do Christians today really look, sound, and act any differently than the world around them? Do you think the church truly values high character and integrity in all the leaders they sit under? Do the people in the church, as in just quote-unquote everyday people, not necessarily named leaders, do they truly value high character and integrity in their own lives? Do you? Because everyone is a leader in some area of their lives, whether they're leading their household, leading their children, leading whatever it may be. It's by grace that you have been saved, not by works. But the reality is there are works that Paul calls Titus to teach to the church because they may have been saved by grace but their actions and their lives are not really looking like Jesus. And it's actually causing people to be repelled from Jesus because the Jesus followers don't look, act, and sound like him. Ask yourself, in the political spectrum, do people who claim to be Christians express character in the way that they talk about other people? When you're sitting at work and you have people who are around you, do you feel like what you're expressing is truly Christ-like in the way that you talk, talk about people, share about things? In your own household, do you speak to your children in a way that's affirming of people who are different than you? Do you spend most of your time talking about the Deuteronomy lessons that we learned this morning The Lord our God is one. We shall love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. And Jesus adds to it, and now with that in mind, love your neighbor in the same way you expect all of your neighbors to love you. Let's pray.
Father, this morning we come and we thank you for the conviction of Scripture that leads us and guides us into all truth because we are in a process every day of becoming more like you. If we'll submit ourselves to you and humble ourselves. Because Scripture tells us in Hebrews and James, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We are in desperate need of grace this morning, Jesus. Come and awaken us. Invite our ministry teams to come forward. This morning, if you come and, man, you're just like, man, you're just struggling. You need God to bring breakthrough in your life. Maybe this morning you, you don't know Jesus and you want him to bring salvation. You can invite people. You can let these people would love to talk to you about and just, and Jesus and introduce you to Jesus. But I invite you this morning to respond. God, what do you have for me? What are you stirring? God, what is truth you want me to grab hold of today and have come alive in me? God, where am I in desperate need of grace where I've been trying to do things in my own strength? And I just need to surrender, God, and submit to you because I'm not winning in life. But I need you to pour out grace so that winning can happen because I'm just not killing it in my own strength, God. And invite him to come to that work. So your response, the Lord leads this morning. I'll come pray us out here in a few minutes.